gospel is taken from John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here ends our gospel lesson. To all those freed by the Son, Jesus Christ, grace and peace are yours. Amen. Reformation's a wonderful weekend. It's a great weekend for us to commemorate what happened 499 years ago, and really what happened over an entire period of time in the church. It wasn't just a one-time event. It's so wrapped up in apocryphal stories that Martin Luther and others somewhat become somewhat of folk heroes, right? And the stories that they're told, they kind of start to mimic stories that we tell about others, like George Washington throwing a silver dollar across the Potomac that was over a mile wide, right? And the things that we know about the Reformation are typically those kinds of stories that were passed on when we were kids, even the one about Martin Luther nailing something to the door, which wasn't a common practice in the day. Instead, that Martin Luther would have taken those and would have posted them in the city center, would have mailed them to all the interested parties, and that would have had the effect of nailing them to the door. It doesn't make it any less true what happened if we believe those kind of folktales that are surrounding it. But sometimes we focus on the folktales themselves and not on the truth of what happened. And the truth of what happened was that some people had distorted the church. People had taken God's word and had corrupted it, had polluted it for their own purposes. And Luther wasn't the first one to see this problem. Luther stood in a train of other people. He stood on the train of other reformers, those who had come forward even a hundred years before We're fighting for the same truth in the church whose voice couldn't be heard. Luther came at the right time. And some would suggest that it wasn't just Luther, but it was the time in which Luther was preaching that caused the Reformation to happen the way it did because of that all-important thing called the printing press. So Luther could write simple tracts about the truth of Scripture, and suddenly they could be produced a thousand times over, and they could be sent to people, but they couldn't read. So let's teach people to read so that they might know the truths of Scripture, and that they might be able to read Scripture for themselves so that no one could ever take it away from them again. That's the truth of the Reformation. Luther, who did so much wonder, so many amazing things, so many really marvelous things for the church and the restoration of the gospel, was the one who translated it back into the language of the people. And I've heard people say erroneously, Luther translated the Bible into the language of the people, and he was the first one. No, he wasn't. There was a man named Wycliffe who had done the same thing in English. There was a man in 400 AD who had translated the scriptures into Latin, which was the language of the people, which was called the Vulgate, the vulgar language of the people. The church had the scriptures in the language of God's people, but then that scripture was taken from them as people weren't allowed to to look at it themselves, were told and said that only priests could interpret the word for them. But Luther translated into German and into low German so that people could read it for themselves. So that we would know that wonderful truth that no one could stand in between us and God. 
That's the restoration of the Reformation as Luther translated the scriptures. He wrote a little word into his Bible. He wrote a word into Romans chapter 3, verse 28. And that little word really became a mark of the Reformation. The little word that Martin Luther wrote in, you probably know it. It was the word alone. Sola. Right? The, the passage goes like this, Romans 3, 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And as he translated these words, Martin Luther wrote, after the word faith, he wrote alone. We maintain that a man is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And he wrote that little word alone to make sure that no one would be confused, to make sure that no one would misunderstand about whether this was a gift of God or something that they had to earn, whether it was simply what God had done or whether somebody had to add to it. And he took a lot of flack for it because it's not there in Greek. And it wasn't there in Latin. It wasn't there in the text that Luther was using to translate. And so people started to attack him. What's this alone word that you're writing there? What's this sola in Latin? When you write that word in there, you're adding to Scripture. But he wanted to make sure that everyone got the context. He wanted to make sure that everyone got the meaning of what was being written in Romans chapter 3, 28. In fact, he wrote this. This is a direct quote from Luther. I know very well that in Romans 3, the word solum, which is the Latin word for it, is not there in the Greek or Latin text. The papists, that is the Roman Catholic priests, did not have to teach me that. It is fact that the letters S-O-L-A are not there. And then in typical Luther fashion, if you've never read anything by Luther, you you should, you'll find out that this language is common to him. And these blockheads stare at them like cows at a new gate, while at the same time they do not recognize that it conveys the very sense of the text. If the translation is to be clear and vigorous, it belongs there. I wanted to speak German, not Latin or Greek, since it was German I had set about to speak in the translation. And so he added those little letters. S-O-L-A, because they captured the sense of the text alone. And that became a mark of the Reformation. Do you remember the three solas? If you had a chance to learn Reformation history at any point, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. Right? Those are the three great truths of the Reformation. Grace alone. I don't know what words you use to define grace. We define them all sorts of ways in the church. Maybe you learned it as a kid and you learned it like this, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Maybe you learned it as the unmerited favor of God. I, I know for me in our church growing up, our pastor taught us from the words of a hymn, what wondrous love is this? The line is, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Love to the loveless, to the unlovable. Love from God shown on them, shown, brothers and sisters, on us, that we might be lovely. That's grace. The Reformation restored to the church the truth of grace alone. God's unmerited favor alone. God's riches at Christ's expense alone. We didn't have to earn it. Faith alone. 
faith that is, is given to us by God, faith that is worked in our hearts. And the best way, I think, to understand faith is to understand that faith is what God works in us to lay hold of the gift of grace which God gives to us. Because otherwise, that grace would just deflect off of us because we couldn't receive it. But instead, faith creates that receptor. Faith is the open hands that God gives us to receive the grace. And even this faith isn't a gift. Even this faith is a gift. It's not something that we do of our own merit. The restoration restored. The the Reformation restored that truth to us. Grace alone. Faith alone. Scripture alone. God's word written for us. The only source and norm. Nothing else that can merit our own attention or our, the same attention in our lives. Nothing else by which we guide and govern everything that we do. Scripture alone as given to us by God. These are the gifts of, the God, uh, gifts of God, excuse me, reclaimed in the Reformation and beyond. And the problem was that the church had distorted these. The church had sought to add to them. The church had sought to use these things for their own benefit, to use these things to create bastions of power, to use these things to create places where they had authority over other people and where they could use that authority for corrupt ends. And while all these things are so wonderful for us, wonderful restoration for us, it's also critical that we understand the lesson that the restoration of these things teaches. And the lesson is this. The truths of God, the gifts of God are given to us. They're given to us in the church. That they're ours to uniquely steward. And that as we uniquely steward these things, we learn that the church is not about power. We learn that the church is not not some kind of a game. That the church isn't a club. That the church is the place where the eternal gifts of God are received by the people of God. That here, God's gifts of grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, are only available. And you see, that's the word that also might be given to us. That's the word that sola, or the way that sola also might be translated, not just alone. When we see these truths, we know that God intends for us, as in the words of John chapter 8, for these truths to set us free. That these truths would set us free from all the other things of the world, from all the other siren songs of the world that might call us to say, yeah, but. Yeah, but I want to live my life this way. These words, these truths of Scripture won't allow us to say, yeah, but, in the face of God. You see, that's the other way that this sola can be translated. Not only as the word alone, but also as the word only. Only grace. Only faith, only scripture. And this flies in the face of a world that says everything that's worthwhile has to be earned. And we say no, only grace. Only the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, not by works of humanity, not by me or by anybody else, only received as a gift of God, only faith, not something to which I assent or something I achieve, but only something that God works in me to receive. That this is the gift of God that sets us free. Only scripture, 
And this is one of those we need to be reminded of from time to time. It's that the, the Bible isn't an answer book. The Bible's not God's trivia book. The, guy, by, the Bible isn't something that we can use to try to beat people down. The Bible is God's testament, his, his revelation of himself and of what he is doing for unlovable humanity. It's God's revelation of what he is doing to call those who are unlovable back to himself, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be, that that's the testament of Scripture as God reveals himself to us. So I would say to you, brothers and sisters, don't take my word for it. Look at what the Scriptures say. Because that's the Reformation truth. Only grace, only faith, only Scripture. And some of you might also be saying to yourselves, those of you who know your Reformation history well, yeah, but there's those two other onlys of the Reformation. It's not just grace alone, faith alone, Scripture alone. It's also Christ alone. You see, and that's what makes all the rest of these things truths. It's the words of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else because there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Right, that this is the gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. And this truth sets you free because you don't need to be your own savior and you don't need to be the savior for anyone else because Jesus alone is the savior. Only Jesus. And Jesus is sufficient for all. Jesus is sufficient for the salvation of all. And so all of a sudden we say the rest of these things then are without excuse in our lives. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, the revelation of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's not a game. It's not a power trip. It's not a club. It's about the eternity that Jesus Christ has opened to you and to me about the eternal truth that you are loved though you are unlovable that you were forgiven though you were unforgivable it's the truth of scripture from second corinthians where god told the apostle paul and by extension all believers my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And that, brothers and sisters, you have this redemption of sins, that it's yours in Jesus Christ, that this is what he has done to set you free. There's another wonderful underlying truth of this. It's that this only and this alone makes us one. It makes us one with all believers everywhere. Since it's given in Christ alone, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He alone is the Savior, only Jesus. And that unites us with all believers of all time and all places. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How many lords? How many fathers? How many faiths? Just one. Only one. One alone. 
And it's enough. It's enough for you and for me. It's a wonderful truth that because you have the scriptures, because I have the scriptures, no one can take it away from us. No one can tell us, well, you've got to pay for it. No one can tell us that we've got to work harder to earn it. No one can tell us that we have to do this or that or the other thing because it's God's work in us and through us. The gifts of God earned by Jesus make us one. Not disparate bodies, not points of the Spirit in the world, but one. One of the things that I love about this oneness is that in Jesus, in Jesus, the church knows no bounds. We call this the mysterious church or the invisible church. It's the church that we confess in the creed when we say, I believe in the church. It's the church that God calls to himself. It's the church that is, that is unbound by even time. And so it's a wonder for us when we're about these eternal truths of God. It's a wonder for us when we're rejoicing in the grace of God shown to us, when we're rejoicing in the fact that God's love is poured on the unlovable, that it means the unlovable of every generation. The reason why Martin Luther wrote that word alone in his Bible, that sola there, was because he had lived for so long believing that it wasn't there. He had lived for so long without these wonderful and amazing gifts of God so that he believed he needed to earn his salvation. And not just him, but thousands of others who did everything they could to try to curry favor with a God that they thought was angry with them. They knew they were unlovable. And they thought if they could just do the right things, then God would love them back. And in the midst of that despair, that's when Luther said those famous words, if that's, if that's how God sees me, and if that's what I must do, then I'm forced to say that I hate God. But it was words of truth from Scripture alone that called him out of that despair, that told him, yes, sins need to be confessed. Yes, I stand as a beggar before God, and what a wonderful position, because I don't have to try to curry his favor. He freely gives his gifts he and he alone. And so we, brothers and sisters, are united. We are one with all those who have gone before us. That when we confess these eternal truths, we do so at the altar, which unites us with, with now almost 2,000 years of believers, of those who have professed this same truth, of those who have known this same Jesus. You know what that means? It means that those who have fallen asleep in Christ are not lost. It means when we say, I believe in the church, we're believing in all of those whom Jesus has called. It means we are never separated from them. It means that the church triumphant endures forever. It means when we sing songs of praise to our Jesus, the same sounds resonate in the paradise of God. And the truth is, the same is true of the church to come. We stand in a long train of people with whom we are one, united in the wonder of Jesus Christ, united in the wonder of being marked by one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that binds us together. Together, brothers and sisters, in the oneness of Jesus, 
only Jesus. Jesus alone. After this weekend, we'll be worshiping in three different locations. After this weekend, some of us will drive to one of those sites and one of those sites alone. And we won't see the same faces. And it would be easy for us as a church to feel like we were drifting apart. Except for these exciting truths of Scripture. The exciting truths that bind us together. That make us say, no, we walk together in the gifts of God. That we are one church together with all time and eternity. And we're strengthening that bond even here in our community. To say that maybe we don't share the same geography, but we share the same Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that should lead to this triumphant shout in our hearts. The fifth, sola. The one that many Reformation-spirited composers throughout the generations used at the bottom of their music, but just three letters, S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. That as we are gathered together in the name of our God, we are gathered together in our God alone. We are gathered together only in the gifts of God in Jesus Christ. These wonderful truths restored to the church of grace and faith and scripture that remind us of the eternal truths of God that we will be with him in his presence for eternity with all saints of all time. And that that begins now. And a wonderful privilege that we have of letting the triumphant shout of God's people be our mark as well. To God alone be the glory in the church and in our lives forevermore. Amen. Happy Reformation weekend.